the main beginning. This main beginning is Jesus Christ. The image of God, calling Scripture the Son of God. Now, unless this Christ is enough, his wings to have a high and higher level, then God cannot fulfill his purpose. Now, listen to these words carefully. From a little boy lost by William Blake. He said, Not love the mother as itself, nor venerate another self, nor is it possible to thought a greater than itself to know. And Father, how can I love you? Or any of my brothers more. I love you like a little bird that puts up sun along the door. If God wants me to know him as he is, he will have to raise me to the level of his own being. I must become God to know God. If he would have me venerating, he has to raise me to the level of himself. If you would have me love, then you would have to bring me up to the level of God. And this old God is love. So I did not possibly know God, love God, benefit God, unless I am God. <coughs> if it is who I am, like a little bird around the door of God, that's the only love I can show for God. That's the only respect I can have for so there's a main email that is God. And that one has to be raised to the level of God. So God becomes that, that name may become God. Well, we are told we are destined in love to be His Son through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. So the office of Christ in the Gospel is that men may become the sons of God through grace by union with him who is the son of God by nature. This is spoken of in Scripture as rebirth. Not reincarnation, rebirth, a higher level and a still higher level. Here we have the discussion taking place in the third chapter of the book of John. It's introduced out of nowhere. Nothing leads up to it. He suddenly turns to a member of the same Hebrew, the highest body in the Hebrew world. And he said to him, You must be born again. The word translated again for a new means literally from above. It's anothing. The Greek word anothene. You must be born from above. Unless you are born from above, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he who heard it wondered, How did I am know that? Once more you enter my mother's womb and be born again. And he said, You are master of Israel, and yet you do not know that unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It was not explained 
When you hear it, I have heard you assistant priests and rabbis discussing And they say, you mean it's a change of attitude, a change of this, a change of that. May I tell you, it is literally true. You are born from above. I speak from experience. I am not speculating. I am not theorizing. I had no idea this thing was so literally true. But man contains within himself this seed that is Christ. He is called the Word of God, and the Word is called the seed. And there are three stages in the history of the seed. There is the sowing, there is the dying, and then there is the picking. The seed is sown among men. The man hears it with faith, and then it's planted, it's sown. Man goes through the fires of hell in this world here. And that is the dying. The seed must fall into the ground and die before it is made alive. If it does not die, it remains alone, but if it dies, it brings forth much. It's the great mystery of life through death. For the seed falls itself. Then it dies, and then it's raised. It's eaten. And this is the seed called the Word of God, that is Jesus Christ. It's actually in there. So you've heard the story of God. You've heard the story of the God. You either accept or you reject. But a number of chances will be given you to hear it and to accept. Because you must accept it eventually that God's purpose be fulfilled. So everyone in one way completely accepts it. And the acceptance will then be him prove that he can be raised from the level where he accepted it up to the level where the seed will take him, which is God himself. So God becomes man, that man may become God. So here, I have told you in my own way, everyone will tell it as he himself experienced it. For different people, it appears differently than everything else does in this world. So here is one from the south, L.A., how it came in his case. I am very eager to get everyone to share with me their visions and their dreams, because God speaks to men through the medium of the dream and unveils himself through the medium of a vision. For he finds himself at the base of a great tree. And then a winding road leading up, and here at the top of this winding road is an enormous dog. And the dog is barking at him. But he knows the dog can injure him, he will not, because he is held by his train. The train has no outline of a man, but with a radiant light, a fiery light. And he knows it is free in his region. The man takes the dog in a leash and brings him down and passes this man into the base of the tree. When he gets beyond, he uses the dog. But he himself returns to the man at the base of the tree and fuses with it. This radiant fiery being enters him and becomes him. And then he, still not quite sure of the dog, goes by lightning up this winding pathway, and when he arrives at the very top, he says, At last I'm in the top room. The dog comes up and licks his face. And then he wakes. This is also told us by the poet Francis Thompson. 
called the Hungry Brother. I chased him down the night and down the years. Down through the arches of the years. Through the labyrinthine ways of my own mind, and paint this fantastic picture of the hunger pursuit of God. When it comes to the end of the poem, we now take the rest. And the voice beside him speaks. And he says, Ah, Bountis, blindest weeping. I am he whom thou seekest. Thou bravest thou from thee who gravest me. Now you and I are seeking God. And we will be unnumbered blind asses. We think we can find him through God, through meditation, through drawing a certain ego, through doing this, that, and the other. All these are the blind acts. For the one we are seeking is within, unless you believe that I am He who died your sins. I can tell you now to the ends of time that we say I am that God, and there never was another, and never will be another. But can I persuade you? Can I persuade you to stop looking on the outside for what is within? That name within that is I am. I can talk to my friends of time in the hope that I will get you at least to try. But I can say that I have succeeded. You and you alone, like my friend who had this vision, who's been coming for years. This happened here recently. He suddenly began to actually accept the fact that it really is within. And what seemed to come from without did penetrate him and abide now within him. So the flame took up the place within himself. I call you flame. And now he's no longer a servant seeking on the outside. Now he's standing on the inside. So here this man, this man within, that we speak of as Jesus Christ, I would only be born from above. If I am joined in supernatural union to him who is the Son of God by nature. So when I stood in his presence, it's a tactful union. I don't be embarrassed, we all have it. It's not a sexual union. You feel no sexual act. But the most fantastic sexual act in the world is that it's nothing compared to the ecstasy of the embrace of the Son of God when he embraces you. When you stand in his presence and he asks you the simplest question in the world, to name the greatest thing in the world, and whether you knew it prior to that moment or not, you will answer automatically for your forbidden scripture. And you will say, faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. At that moment, he embraces you. And you feel you actually become one one, one spirit. At that moment, you have had union with the risen Lord. Now, the seed that I contain within myself bears my image. Find the appropriate soil in which to plant it, and it will grow into the likeness of myself and into the state You take a sucker from a plant, privately from the plant, it participates in the life of the plant. But you take it from the plant and transplant it. It becomes in its turn the bird. So the seed of God is planted in man, and that seed is called Jesus Christ. It bears the express image of his person. So the seed comes to the womb, which is man. By man I mean generic man. 
It comes in the form of a stone, which is the stone of the gospel, which is the story of God. He desires to raise us to the level where we can appreciate it, where we can venerate it, where we can understand it. But I can't understand him on my present level as he ought to be understood. But to go back to the point, not loves another as itself. I think I could sacrifice myself tonight for someone I would bring it for my daughter, my wife, my friends, at my age, what does it matter? If I was given no choice, either your life or her life, now, I don't think I would hesitate for a second to say, okay, this. But it doesn't mean because I gave my luck to save my wife or my daughter or my friends that I really truly, in the depths of my soul, love them more than I do myself. Not love another as itself. Nor venerate another self. Nor is it possible to thought of greater than itself to love. And Father, how can I love you or any of my brothers more? How can I? I love you like a little bird that picks up crumbs around the door. You want me to venerate you, but then raise you. You want me to really understand you, then now you will then raise me to the level of your own being. Then I can really love you. Because I can't love anything in this fabulous world as I love myself. If you are big enough to admit it, you love me. If you say, oh no, I love God more than I love myself, then define me for me. And you'll give me some monstrous things I know full well you couldn't possibly love. You're going to paint something that is not God at all. But God reveals himself to man with image of his own wonderful eye. Go and tell him, I am as Satan will be. That's my name forever. And by this name I shall be known throughout all generations. When I be found into me as I am. I believe the day will come to find him just as I am. And his son will stand before you and call you Father. When the son calls you Father, and you know the truth of this relationship, then you will find God. For there is no other love. So he sets up in the beginning that which, when it occurs in you, reveals to you that you and the one who calls on are one. Until it happens, you will not know truth that you are God. And you know the truth of the visions of these men of the dead and the Thompson. And you will not be synagogue, you won't question it, you will admit it. Are you well about it? Do you think it's possible for thought and thinking in itself to know? Can it? Do you really believe that you, the individual here this night, that you could venerate someone more than the being that you really are? That it's possible to love another more than love self? I tell you, you develop on it and you're brutally frank with yourself. I'm honest, and your answer is no Well, now, I admit that there is a presence that created it all. I am relative to this presence, like the little bird who runs the door. But I would like to know him. I'd like to know him so I can show my appreciation, my love, for the reason. 
Raise me up to your level that I know you as you are. Raise me up to your level that I observe you as you ought to be loved. Raise me up that I may love you as you ought to be loved. And so we have a plan. God shows us in Him before the foundation of the world. And destined us in love to be His sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Through Jesus Christ, for now that's the seed. He tells us that this is the word of God, and the word is the seed. And the seed is planted on man. And man becomes the soil to receive that seed. And he receives it, and then it dies. It dies in him. He walks the earth when he is the one that's supposed to find. And suddenly it erupts with him. And that moment of eruption, no one knows when it's going to happen. It's like a woman taken at the very last moment, she doesn't know it. And suddenly she gives birth. A man is then born from above. From that moment on, you see everything different. You see God in an entirely different life. No longer on the outside. You've come to you've come to within. And you can tell others, and they are two among the others that you speak to, who will call you mad or call you blasphemous. It doesn't really matter to you. You only hope they will accept it. They may turn from you and say he is the most angry person I've ever met. It's perfectly all right. Because when you have the experience, you know in your heart that they will have it too. And when they have it, you will be far removed from them in time and space. But eventually, you will meet. There will be no bragging, no boasting, because you preceded them into the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, you all are equal. So when they come, they come as brothers. And then you will know the words. Nor love a brother more. When he comes, because he's had the same experience that he's found God, and he's found himself in finding God, and you found yourself in finding God, then you are one. Then you know the words of God. And I dwell in thee, and they dwell in me, and we are one, God, as you and I are one. And may they know that you save me, and love them as thou lovest me. Only one. So here this man in the field, you actually feel him and you find him. Although you're told thereafter in the same realm of the flesh, and you answer to the name that all know you by. So they call you John and you respond. But you know, in your heart of hearts, you're the real. But in the world of seasons, you turn a name. And the name is John, or the name is Mary, or any other name. And to that name, you, re- you respond. But within yourself, having had the experience, you know who you are. And those who come to you, you also know that they couldn't possibly come, unless the Father within you called them. And so you're calling one after one after one, because they're all beginning to wait when they're coming to you. But if you have awakened, then those who are calling are on the verge of waiting. Well, I can say in my number down in L.A., that dozens and dozens are having the experience of the birth of the Lord. They were every Monday and Friday on night and nights. And in their audience, dozens are having it. But they have it differently, as they have everything else differently. We all are unique in this world, so the birth is the same. But when it takes place, the symbolism alters somewhat. The energy changes somewhat. But it's all towards the eurythmic. And the unfolding of the God within us. 
when we have found Christ in you, is the hope of glory. It's an actual fact when I see Christ in you as the hope of glory. Now, in Scripture, when I tell Magnificent Rabbis and Jesus' story, they look at me and say, What on earth did you ever study? Where is your theology? Did you go to any college to study? Well, I never heard that in school when I studied theology. But as far as I am concerned, it is not from my study in the book. I never heard it from a man. I never read it in the book. It came by revelation. If it doesn't fit what you heard, I would ask you to consider it anyway. Because you have heard it from a man. How do you know what you've heard from men in his revelation? Could it not be the traditions of men? There are men sat down to conceive and compose what they consider a workable philosophy of life. And this they consider the master. And then they gave it out as vision. But it isn't vision at all. I am telling you what I have actually said by revelation. By revelation, I mean God unveiling himself seemingly as me. And so, when I tell you that Jesus Christ is God the Father, you will think that he is God the Son. I am telling you he is God the Father. And as God the Father, he has to have a Son. For he would not be a Father without a Son. And then you say that Jesus Christ has no Son. He is the Son of God. And I tell you he is God himself. And God being a Father, he has to have a Son. Now I tell you his Son and it's always started. His son is David. David of difficult faith. That's the son of the Lord Jesus Christ. They go through the ceiling. They're sort of afraid of what I'm talking about. When I turn to Scripture, I think, now to whom are these words addressed? They're taken from the second psalm. And David said, I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said unto me, Thou art my son. Today I will be gotten free. You want to know where you find it? In the second psalm, the seventh verse. There you find it. Written 1,000 years B.C. There is a grouping of what man is going to experience. For the whole story is the story of Christ. So the whole thing is foreclosed until the time is fulfilled when God begins to live with man. For if God is a father, but it shall be his son. It's stated in the second psalm who his son must be when he appears to reveal God to man. And he appears in man. Now, in the book of Luke and Matthew, there was no reason to bring it up if you read the chapter carefully. Take the previous chapter of the book of Luke, or the previous second of the book of Matthew. And here they're discussing something entirely different. The Sadducees said to him, Master, Moses in the law said, But if a man marries and dies leaving the offspring, and he has a brother, the brother should marry the widow and raise up offspring for the brother. For there were seven brothers. One married, the first married, and he died leaving no offspring. The second took her, and he died leaving no offspring. And the third took her, and eventually all married her, and finally all died, and she died. And there was no offspring. Tell me, whose wife is she in the resurrection? Now, the question was asked by the Sadducees. We are told the Sadducees were, in the ancient world, what the modern agnostic or atheist 
on the extreme scientists who was looking for tangible proof of the existence of God or something in there that could survive creation. If we need the body, you see, turn to God, what on earth could survive that? So the mind who entertains that thought is called the Sadducee in Scripture. Not believing the way that I really ask the question. <clears throat> and this is the answer. The sons of this age, not, and they are given in marriage. But those who are accounted worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, for they can die no more. They are now sons of the resurrection, therefore sons of God. In time, until that takes place in man, Man, as he appears to die, isn't really dead. He is restored to life to continue the journey. When he dies again, restored, continues the journey, and he dies again. Not reincarnation, not what the world talks about reincarnation, but simply restoration, continuing in body just like this, just as before. In a world, the rest still just like this. Aging just as we do here. Maybe I will depart from that world to do here. But that world is part of this world. He only speaks of two ages. So, my world here does not terminate at the point where my senses need to register. So, I need someone, just by the way, to drop I go to that room and see the dust. They gave me a little urn. She was turning to the dust, the little ashes. But I can't touch her now. I can't talk to her. I can't see her. But that world does not end. It doesn't terminate. At that point, we come where my senses need to register. She has been stored in a body just as before. You, not a baby, but you, now. Not a thing missing, it's kind of comforting you. She continues the journey, and she marries, as she did here. And she lives a life there, as she lives with her. And she matures and grows old, and she dies there, as she dies with her. To find herself restored once more, to continue the journey, just as before. No loss of identity. Then comes this moment in God, where man is born from above. As he's born from above, he goes through a series of events, leading up to the discovery of the fatherhood of God as he himself. Then he parts this age forever. He no longer is restored to life, where men call him dead. He has entered the kingdom of God, and his body is not the body of flesh in God, for it cannot enter the kingdom of God. That body is the body of God. Is immortal body that cannot die. Everyone has that body awaiting the discovery of the fatherhood of God, and he discovered it himself when God's Son calls him Father. Now, after the discussion with the Sadducees, he brings up a promise, and it's not at all related to the chapter, either the 22nd of Matthew or the 20th of Luke, where you find the story. After he answered the Sadducees, he then asked the question, What think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? For the religion had it, that he was the son of David. So then, the son of David. Then he comes back and says, And why then did David in the Spirit call him Lord? If David does call him my Lord, how can he be David's son? So he just comes to that that he is David's son. He doesn't tell them. But he does tell them, David called him my Lord. 
For grace and son always spoke of his father as my Lord. Always referred to his father as my Lord. So he's telling you in his own, in his own wonderful mystical way who David is relative to him. David is his son. That he set up in the beginning, in that second song, David calls him father. The 89th Psalm, he makes the statement, I have come David, and he cried unto me, Thou art my son, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Now these are mysteries, but the mysteries of Scripture are not matters to be kept secret. They are truths that are mysterious in character. So when you read and you take it as secular history, you'll never get the point. Read carefully, dwell upon it, and try to understand what is he trying to get at in this book. But he's trying to be who he is. He tells now in the book of John, when someone says to him, Philip said to him, Master, or that he calls him Lord, he says, Show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. He said, I have been so wrong with you, yet you do not know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How then can you say, Show us the Father? He tells you he's the Father. In spite of that, after 2,000 years of theology, which are not, not the theology that you say to the world, which is the knowledge of God, is what the world is not, it is having more of the conditions of man. Man has a certain set concepts of what God ought to have done, and he proves it as theology. Ordaining people is not based upon the truth of Scripture. The Sunday came to me once, it's about six weeks ago. At the end of the meeting, she came forward and said, I will take your feelings under consideration. I said, thank you very much. Then she said to me, you know, I am an ordained minister. And we're very much. She said, are you ordained? I said, not by man. No. And then she you were ordained by man, weren't you? She said, by a minister. I said, you're a man? Oh, yes. Well, then you're a man. And you called him a minister, but he was a minister, he's a man. Let me tell you, they are not here. You can look at my theories under consideration. I speak from experience. I am not speculative. I am not fearless. I am telling you what I know from experience. And that is a man knows the experience, he knows more first than he knows anything else in this world. Or that he can know that same thing in any other way. Now you heard me tonight, and you call it here. You can't deny that you heard it, therefore you can when I know what you said. But you know it as Hare said. You don't know it from experience. The day will come, you will know what I'm saying to be true, because you will know it from experience. Until you have experienced it, it is still only to hear. Something that someone said, and it's Hare said. So you can go home and take it under consideration, or you don't take it under consideration. And one day, in God's infinite mercy, He will unveil Himself within you, and you will find you, in spite of your present sense, you will be God the Father. And He will not embarrass you, although you now wear the garment of a woman, to find that you are really the eternal man. And that eternal man is God. God is man. I'm telling you, I know that from experience. You stand in the presence of infinite love and its man. He wants me to know him, all right, raise me as that same man. Don't leave me on the level of the birds. 
where I can only see you through the eyes of the person. And be satisfied with the promise, not knowing as you throw the promise out, that you will break to even get the promise. I keep the promise among them great before. I take them because there they are. And you gave me the appetite of the promise to eat them. So I eat them. But I do not know where they came from. And I'm not concerned. I'm a brother. So we go to the people, and we meet our hearts, and we don't even know how it came to be. We see pleasure that is called in the soul of airport. We do not know the mystery behind the growth of the corn. And so I cannot know it is a way to be to be careful to do the corn. And then I will know. Until then I am soon to the bread. Feeding on the comments along the door. For not can know and not love the other as itself. Nor benevolence another self. Nor is it possible for thought a greater than itself to know. So far we want you to know this meal. What is made plain, the plain is contained in what he calls Jesus Christ. He has made known unto me the purpose, his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. What is Christ is in us, or there's a plan is in us. For he said he set forth the plan in Christ for the fullness of time. So when that time comes, when it erupts, and the shell is broken, and all that is containing the plan comes forward in a first person, present tense experience, and then we know who we are. Then it doesn't matter after that thing we depart this life. Whether we go this moment, or ten years from now, it doesn't really matter. We feel like talk. I wish I could moment after moment depart this thing. I desire to depart and be with Christ. That's far, far better. But for your sakes, it is better that I remain and tell you the word of God. But he desired to depart, having fulfilled scripture, what else can we do? There's not a thing in this world for man to do, but to fulfill scripture. Not to build in the same time for all things else, but to fulfill scripture. So when scripture is fulfilled in them, there's not a thing left, but to tell it. And you will find those who are eager to hear it, those who will turn a death to it, but it doesn't really matter. In the fullness of time, those who don't turn their death to money will eagerly seek it. And then it will come. Someone else will carry on, and they will plant the seed and they will pick it up. So there, this man within is the same man spoken of in Scripture that carries the plan of God, passing. And that is Christ Jesus. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so he contains the pattern. He is the pattern man. So Paul in his letter to Timothy, he said, Hold fast the pattern of the true word which you heard from me. For he told the story as he himself experienced it. And he said it in Galatians. And said, If any man changes one word, let him be a first. For this is not something I composed, this is something that came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I didn't hear it from a man. I wasn't taught by a man. It came to the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I am telling you who you really are. You are God. He loved to the level of the bird, feeding you down. But within you is a pattern. And that pattern is contained in the seed of God. And that seed is Jesus Christ. That is as much the seed of God in the true sense of the word as my spirit. 
contains my image. It told me a proper room in which places my image will come out. And we projected on the screen space where God found in us the proper room and he better through Jesus Christ his son. So I say it is his purpose, his office, to actually turn men into sons of God by grace through union with him who is the son of God by nature. There is a perfect seed of God called Jesus Christ. Buried in me, it probably takes a graft. And like the little sucker of the plant, although he lives upon the tree until detached and partakes of the life of the tree, when once detached and transplanted, he becomes in each turn the bearer. So he takes his seed and transplants it, engrafts it into heaven. And then that transplant, then, in its good time, becomes the bearer. And the parent is God the Father. Therefore, the same son that calls you Father must call me Father. Then I will go by me, and the things do other way know me. No one knows who the Father is but the Son. And no one knows who the Son is but the Father. For if no one this world knows who the Son is but the Father, so then show me my Son. Show me my Father. And when he comes, I'm here. So the old lesson ends upon the notion. If a son honors his father, and I am a father, prayer is my honor. If a son honors his father, and I am a father, prayer is my honor. In other words, prayer is my son. So we'll read that in the first chapter of the last book of the Old, the book of Malachi. Prayer is my father. Now you turn over the pages, and the New Testament gives the answer. So here is the Son, and He comes. But the whole book was a seal book, completely sealed, and no one knew how to break the seal. For it's broken from the weed, it's not broken from the dust. So this being of whom I speak, which is the being that you have heard time and time again, as something external to yourself, is really the seed of God, the sperm of God, planted in you. And therefore, it merely carries the sperm of God to bear this heavenly creature, then you must be married. For you're carrying the sperm of God. And so, in this very body, I don't mean this body of flesh and blood, but in that something within, I bear and have born the Son of God. He came out, the Son of God, and called me God. Now, let us go into the sun. Questions, please. First of all, let me uh, repeat what I said earlier. A lady asked for a copy of that message from the doctor, which I copied and left with my wife the day before, two nights ago, and it hasn't been picked up. If you are here tonight, you asked me to copy it for you, and I did. So, you'll find me at the desk. If you are here tonight. No, I wouldn't say that at all. The question was, 
is it necessary to understand all these things in direction before you have these changes? No. I do know that a hunger comes upon man, but only the springs of God can satisfy. When that hunger comes, well, nothing, nothing diverts you. And you'll find the interest in God's book called the Bible that no one seems to see. Others try to show. You find these ladies on the street in their road, drawn to a certain order. They always have a Bible in their hand, but it's closed. And you walk through the line of the subway, they have the Bible in their hand. They think that's the word of God. They carry it as a piece of paper. What do they know about the thing that is contained in the book? But you don't carry that way, you go home and you read it. I spend six and seven hours a day, seven days a week, reading my Bible. The only 66 books of it, but I never tire of it. I never tire of it. I brought two books there. When I went to New York City last summer, I carried two books. I went to Barbados for three months, I carried the same two books. One was the Bible, and one was the complete works of Blake. That's all I carried. I found these two a library. First of all, there are many books in the complete works of Blake, and there are 66 books in the Bible. But that's a nice library. But you don't have to know the intellectual. It just happens, it comes. And when it blows upon you, the whole vast world provides an obligation and it makes no difference to you whatsoever. Now, you know what has happened, and you can't undo it. And you also know that all the world will not undo what God has done in you. And you have a choice. It doesn't really matter what God give you. They can't undo, not in eternity, what God has done in you. And you're told, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. When? At the day of Jesus Christ. At the unveiling of Christ with you. And here's the question, please. fish coming out of the water and embraces someone. Well, first of all, the fish has always been the symbol of Christ. Water has been the symbol of truth, psychological truth. And so if the fish comes out, man, I would say, has ceased to apply it psychologically, but it's going to turn it now into wine. As you're told in Timothy, drink no more water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your many infirmities. In other words, it doesn't mean that you stop drinking water. But there are three symbols of truth. First is the stone. That's the literal fact that it's difficult to digest. Man can't understand it. For the stories are all parables. They're all allegories. And an allegory or a parable is a story told as if they were true. Leaving the one who hears it or reads it to discover its fictitious character and learn its lesson. Well, the average person can't break that stone. He can't turn it into water and learn the lesson. Now, if I could take a story and give you the psychological meaning so you could apply it towards the world of season. I gave you water. I offered you a glass of water and then you try to show you the psychological meaning of the story. But don't stop there. Take it and apply it. You're the awesome power. As you apply it, you're turning the water into water. So it's stone, water, water. So if this fish comes out, which is a symbol of life, and then embraces someone, but he comes out of the water with the normal natural habitat. Water being the psychological meaning, now he's coming out into the more moving state. 
that's what I would do too. The uh, interpretation of that dream. God speaks to me, to you, and the whole vast world through the meaning of dream. That's told in the 12th chapter of the book of Numbers. Any other questions, please? You've got the time. Yes, ma'am. To what? The lady had the snakes were chasing her. I know that we know the strange concept we've seen in Joel's snakes. And it goes back to the story in the third chapter of Genesis, where the snake devises of all God's creatures, a deceived woman, into believing she would not die. That's the story of Joel. For the serpent said to her, Did God say to you that you would, not, that you would die? And she said, Yes, if I ate of a certain tree, the fruit of a certain tree. And he said, Well, God knows you will not really die, not surely die. See, the snake did not deceive her at all. Because if you read the story carefully, you will find that this is said. And God said, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So he did not deceive her. He said you'd become a dead ox, knowing good and evil. If you did. And so the snake is not really what the world believes to be. As you're told in the third of uh, John, and as Moses is not a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be a So he identifies himself as a serpent, for he calls himself the Son of Man. And he must be lifted up in the same way that the serpent is lifted up in the wilderness. And that's an actual literal fact. It's the symbol of the Son of Man. But the Son of Man, on a certain level, cures man. If you thought this very moment, that your every thought, your every emotion was exposed to the eye of God, you just killed him. You would not live. But knowing that he can't see, or thinking that he can't see you, you would entertain all the unlovely thoughts of God. Thinking I'm hidden out from the eye of God. But if you actually knew that you're not living at all, you're completely exposed, your every thought, your every mood, to the eye of God. The man wants a shelter from God. But he runs from the serpent. And in the end, you will find that the perfect symbol of the Son of Man. Any other questions, please? Is there any special significance of seven brothers who married the widow? Seven. Now, seven is the spiritual number of protection. So, here is seven, it's the spiritual protection. All numbers have significance. And seven is spiritual protection because on the seventh day, he finished, he rested, satisfied, all that was done. The eighth is a new beginning. Resurrection. So seven, here is the work, it's done. Now who's wife is she? Can't you know it, it's all done. But all the way she's there. Now give me the end. 
And he tells them, you do not understand scripture. If you understood scripture, you would not have asked. For only in this age do they marry and not live in marriage. Only in this age do they die. When they are saved to that age, which is the resurrection of the day, they get married or are they given in marriage. They are created beings not split into two, male or female. They are men. Man differs from male. Man differs from female. Man is God. Wearing garments of male or female. But man, in the resurrection, is above the organization of sex. He's neither male nor female. What of the unnumbered crowds in the world who are not seeking what we here are seeking? But first of all, until the hunger is upon them, they cannot be seeking. No man comes unto me except my father calls him. And when my father calls him, I will not cast him away. Now, your child will look at us. I will send a hunger, a famine upon the land. There will not be a hunger for bread or a thirst for water but for the healing of the Word of God. And when that hunger is upon you, not a thing in this world will satisfy that hunger, but an experience of God. So until that hunger is upon you, you can have all the things thrown at you of that nature, and it doesn't appeal to you. By going to a restaurant, you have a complete hunger for a certain item, and not a thing else on the menu appeals. You want that item. But when the hunger is gone upon you, you only want a piece of it. And he will eat his body and drink his blood. And the body, in the physical sense, is that book, the Bible. And you extract it. When you extract the life of it, you drink his blood. And then comes the experience. And you have the experience of God. And you'll know that everyone's going to have the vision. But he calls it all in his own time. One by one by one. As he builds his living temple out of living stone. Life giving space. Not just animated bodies. But the world now is all an animated body. We are destined to be life giving spirits. Where is life enough? So we have a father. And if the father has life in himself, so he's granted the son also to have life in himself. And you will be the power animating the world, not being animated by a power external to yourself. Now we have two lectures uh, there. We're here tomorrow night and Friday. Same place, same time. Now if you're not on the mailing list, 